0: We're actually finishing, closing down a, a series called Wandering and Wondering, and uh, it's kind of an overview of Exodus. We're, we're not, hopefully you've enjoyed the series, hopefully it's not been, our goal was to not make it just a, a reminder of like vacation Bible school stories, or maybe you grew up in church and the felt board and, you know, you watch Charlton Heston and Ten Commandments, you know, those kind of things. Like, we, we our goal wasn't just to kind of hit the highlights, but our goal was to talk about some of the questions that humans like us, right, humankind, have kind of asked throughout the centuries um, that we can learn from God's people in the Old Testament, kind of, kind of where God wants to meet us when we ask some of these questions. Here's some of the questions we've covered in the series, like, why me? When stuff's going on, like, well, you know, when we, if you have you ever asked that question? That's something very similar to everybody. Why me? What's going on? How do I make it? How am I going to make it? If you're married or have a family, how are we uh, going to make it? And today we're actually going to look at the question, why am I doing this? And if you've never asked that question, it doesn't matter about what it is. It doesn't matter if it's, we're going to look at it in the context of, of religion. We're going to look at it in the context of belief systems. We're going to look at it in the context of, especially when it comes to worship and uh, kind of the rules that we follow. Um, if you've never asked that question, you should. <laughs> the why behind what we do is pretty important. And it, again, all of these questions connect some way to the wandering and wondering of people looking for purpose. And we believe we learn from the Old Testament and learn from the examples that God's given us in His word, uh, ways in which we as Christians should follow God, should respond uh, to Him. So that's the question we're going to be looking at today is, why am I doing this? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a brief setup. I can't give you a recap of the last few weeks, so we're going to dive right in, okay? Every religious system, Okay, every religious system is based on rules and either a reward or consequences. Nod your head if you're with me, right? doesn't matter what it is. Every religious system is, is based in this idea of rules and shoulds and shouldn'ts and supposed to be doing more of this or less of that or whatever the case is. And, and, and every system is based on the fact that if you do the right things, you'll be rewarded, and if you do the bad things or the wrong things, you're going to be punished, right? You're going to, you're, Something's going to happen. Very transactional. Um, and believe it or not, that's how a lot of people see Christianity. And that's how a lot of people saw the Jewish faith. Matter of fact, the Jews themselves saw it that way for so long, and they kind of missed what I believe was kind of the way we talk about it, at least the way I like to introduce people to the understanding of these things, is that it's really God's... Uh, ideals, and instructions. Well, why do I say it that way? Well, here's the reality. God is the creator of all things, including you and me. And he knows what kind of life would be our best life. He knows He knows what would be the, 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 the thing that cause us to have life to the full and to experience the freedom he wants us to experience and to experience the joy in him. And then guess what? Because he knows that, because he's our creator, and he knows that, he gives us instructions on how to live so that we can experience it. Isn't that amazing? Right? That's. I mean, that's... So I, I know I'm kind of dumbing it down, but like that's just the way I like to help people understand. Even we go back and look at the Old Testament, especially this point in history as we're studying the Exodus, and God gives the law, and he gives some instructions for worship and how to live, You need to see the heart of God behind that. You need to know why those things were given. So we're jumping into the story. Let me go ahead and tell you where we are. Last week we talked about um, the the people of Israel had come out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've celebrated. They've they've freaked out. There's no water. God provides water. They freaked out. There's no food. God provides food through manna and the flaky stuff and the quail. And then I kind of fast-forwarded last week and talked about that how are we going to make it fear-based living that kind of plagues the Israelites the whole time uh, they're out in the, uh, in the wilderness. But I want to jump back into where Moses is taking God's people is to the mountain of God. Now, if you remember the very first week, if you were part of the series, that was the whole goal, right? God said to Moses, I'm going to have you deliver the people and they're going to come back to this mountain and they're going to worship me and I'm going to be their God. So that's where we're kind of jumping in, is basically right when they get back to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, and we're going to jump into the story. Moses climbed up the mountain to appear before God, and this is Moses basically going up, and God says the same thing he's been saying. I am the Lord your God. Remember, that's the echo in Exodus. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Uh, you saw what I did the Egyptians. You saw what I did you know, to provide for you. Tell the people to get ready because something's going to happen. All right? So in, in verse 7, we're going to skip down. He says, Moses returned from the mountain. and He called together the elders of, of the people and told them everything that God had commanded them. And all the people responded together. Right? Let's read it all together like we're the people of God. You guys ready? So everybody responds together like this. Ready? We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Ooh, that's good. Let's do it one more time. You Ready? We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the answer back to God. Okay, they've agreed. Now the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves will hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothing. There's a few other things he gives them. He says, um, "Keep going. Be sure they're ready on the third day. For that day, the Lord's going to come down on Mount Sinai as the people watch. Now, again, this is I'm going to kind of go against some of the maybe the things you 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 thought you remembered from Sunday school or what you saw on TV when you watched the story kind of thing, um, but. Just to let you know, because we're doing a quick flyover over a lot of detailed chapters. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But it's a little bit, just to tell you ahead of time, it gets a little exhausting uh, because the last 20 chapters is a lot of Moses hearing from God and then Moses telling the people of Israel. And then he, he hears the people of Israel and he goes back to God and I don't find it very efficient, but Moses decides to write all of it. Does that make sense? Like, he writes all of it. Here's what I'm talking about, here's what God said, and then Moses says exactly what God said. So I'm going to jump around a little bit so we can get the gist of things, but just understand, that's a lot of the narrative you're going to see. God says this, so Moses goes and tells him that. So that's what we're seeing. But one of the important things I want you to see is that God said, I'm coming, consecrate yourself, be ready for the third day. I want the people to hear me. I want you to remember that. We're going to jump into this next verse. So Moses led them out to the camp to meet with God. This is after they've gone through those few days, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire, and the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew, because that's what they were doing, louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down uh, on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, so Moses began to climb the mountain. Now, you're going to kind of see this progression of Moses kind of climbing a little bit of the mountain and climbing a little bit of the mountain and kind of getting to the top of the mountain. But again, I want you to see this, this context God is speaking to Moses, and people are hearing God. Now, people smarter than us argue about this, okay? This is the best part. When you start reading commentaries and people that are smarter than you, when people smarter than you argue, the best thing to do is just go, that's awesome, you guys have fun with that, all right? Um, honestly, I, we don't know, okay? We don't know if people heard the clarity of the audible voice of God like Moses did, Uh, Or did just Moses hear it? Because Moses seems to be constantly mediating and saying it. But there seems to be this understanding that God thunders his reply, meaning that they all understood there was a conversation going on. Everybody nod your head if you're with me, right? So I don't know what they heard, but I know they heard something. As a matter of fact, they're going to tell us in a minute what they heard and how they felt about it. But let's read this together. This is going to be our portion. We're reading together, uh, Exodus twenty. If you guys will uh, turn there, I decided to read this together today, just in case you have never, ever, with your own eyes, actually read these words. All right, you may have heard about them, you may have uh, seen a movie about them, but you know you may not have ever read them. So let's read it uh, together today. I'm going to go to verse. Uh, I'm going to read. First few verses, this is in chapter 20 of Exodus. So the Lord God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of image or anything in the heavens on earth or the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children, and the entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God, the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days of the week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to, of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and your, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. For the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And that's the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you've ever read those before for yourself, but that's the first time they're actually written and listed. And most of us see the Ten Commandments like this, usually, right? Moses goes up to the top of the mountain, and for most of us in the room, this is how Moses looks, right? It's Charleston Hessen. All right, so Moses goes up to the top of the mountain, and he gets these two tablets, you know, from God, and he goes down to the people to tell the people what, what God said. But that doesn't seem to, to be the real context here. Context here seems to be that the Ten Commandments are spoken to Moses and all the people of God. Matter of fact, it goes on, you can read the next few verses, that the people are getting a little bit weary of hearing directly from God, if that's what they really did hear. Matter of fact, they go on to say, basically like, Moses, we love hearing from you, Moses. It's great. Okay, Why don't you go talk to God and come back to us Because whatever was happening, whatever they were hearing, whatever was going on from the violent shaking and the thundering replies, whatever was happening, they basically were like, if we continue to hear from the Lord directly, we're going to die, is what they felt. This is the feeling they had. If we keep hearing directly from God, we're going to die. And Moses says, don't be afraid. He doesn't say he's going to do that. He says, don't be afraid because God is doing this to test you. He wants to give you these, these, these rules. They actually, they're called the rules of the covenant. He said, God is testing you in this, and he wants you to hear this. So believe it or not, some people think it was just the Ten Commandments, but there's so much more over the next several chapters that, that are spoken to the people of God in addition to these ten commandments, now some people think it's just examples of the ten commandments. They're they're kind of expanded views of the ten commandments, but there's some specific stuff here. If you go on to the next several chapters, then they're repeated again later on about you know the proper use of altars again, no idols. Okay, no that when you have an altar like to God, what is it for? Sacrifices. The people of God, if they knew anything about sacrifices, it would have been pagan ritual from the Egyptians. Or it might have been oral history of the fact that, you know, since Cain and Abel, there have been sacrifices made to God over the, you know, for the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So they would have maybe known about that, but again, this was all gonna be fairly new. Fair treatment of slaves and servants. Why did that matter? Well, because it's four hundred years they were slaves of the Egyptians. And God wanted them to understand there's some fairness that needs to happen in this world, even when it comes to slaves. Uh, You couldn't have one longer than six years. It was going to be your seventh year. You had to release them. There was no this perpetual whatever, and there's a whole bunch of other rules with it. Justice for personal injury. This is where you start seeing the, the, the language, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a pinky toe for a pinky toe. Everybody with me? Like That was, that was kind of like, that's where you get some of that Old Testament language of, 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 of God laying it out. Like There has to be some justice and, and some understanding of, of personal injury and protection of property. Social responsibility, how we're to treat foreigners and treat one another, justice for moral issues, don't lie, don't corrupt things, don't allow those things to happen. There were festivals that God wanted them to observe that, again, pointed them back to God. It was like the festival of unleavened bread, and there's some reasons for that. And then there was festival of the first harvest to thank God for all he's done, and festival of the second harvest. And again, there's some other things with it, but it's great. He closes out the rules of the covenant. Just think about this for a minute. He closes out all of these, the law, the instructions, the rules of the covenant. He closes it out with this. Hey guys, you're going into the land I promised you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to send an angel ahead of you to just do all the heavy lifting right? Like he's very much like I'm going to prepare it. There's going to be an I'm I'm going to be sending an angel to go right in front of you the whole time. Trust me. And he gives them the law. God's law is not only misunderstood today, but it's oftentimes and it was even misunderstood by the Jewish nation consistently. Because as things changed over centuries and centuries and centuries, kind of the, I would say the details of it, they, they, they missed the heart of God behind it. So I'm going I'm to just take a step back real quick. So we're going to go through the narrative a little bit today, but there's two times in which I kind of want to step back and just talk about how things are a little bit different for us today, but are still the same in terms of how we view God's heart behind what we read and what we're learning, even from the Old Testament, okay? God's law. The reason for God's law was, again, this is a slave nation, 400 years of slave culture. All they knew was how to be a slave or the Egyptian pagan rulers they had. That's it. That's all they knew. They either knew how to be a slave or they could act like the Egyptians in their pagan uh, rituals, That's all they had. And again, once again, God knew that they needed needed morals, they needed law, they needed some forms of boundaries and and, and things that needed to be done in order for them to experience the freedom and to be the great nation that he promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and his people that he was going to get them to be. Like He was like, you're going to be a nation that is led by God, that's number one, going to be amazing. Number two is you're going to act in such a way and live in such a way that that blesses the whole world and that everyone's going to recognize what's there. And that just wasn't going to happen with a group of slaves. That wasn't going to happen with a group of, of slaves that all they knew was Egypt, either slave culture or Egyptian pagan worship. So God's law was given for freedom. It was to help them be free. We see God's law. Most people read God's law as a restriction, as as something that binds us or or we're bound to. We can't do anything we want to do. We can't do anything fun. Like God's law kind of is the pooper of the party. Does that make sense? Every party has a pooper, right? Like that's God's law. But the reality is that we know better. Because God's law brings freedom. It is where you see lawlessness that injustice and suffering happen. It is where you see corruption is where injustice and suffering happen. Look at Haiti right now, guys. Like, think about the areas where you're seeing this and and, and where all the laws are self-serving and all that. Like, we already know this to be true. God's civil law that He was giving His people was for freedom. It was for freedom. It was for their good. I, I love this. This is a picture of the east, facing east on the Supreme Court uh, building there in D.C. And you can't see it real good, but Moses and the Ten Commandments are actually in the center pinnacle there at the top. But I love the phrase that justice is the guardian of liberty, that there was this central idea that the, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Again, this is founded by our forefathers. This is something that continued to come through, just passed down, is that they understood the rule of law was for our good. They understand the rule of law was for the good of everyone and the good of society. It was the guardian of freedom. And guys, I think that's that's the biggest difference. We have to start viewing God's ideals and, and instructions as freedom, as the, the rules that we are given. The, uh, go to the next slide as the uh, ideals and instructions were given, to live the life that God is calling us to live, we have to live life God's way. We have to live and do the things according to what he called us to do. Now, why do people struggle with this? Why does it get to a point where you're just like, I don't know why I'm doing this, I don't, I don't understand it? I'll tell you why, because it's true. God's law was given, to a certain degree, there was a lot of transactional uh, you know, there was a lot of transaction to it in terms of I do this because you do this or you do this and I'll do this. And again, with all of that kind of tied to it, now there were, listen, there's reasons for it. And I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. There's reasons that it was transactional because it was all pointing to Christ. Okay. There's reasons it's transactional because it was all going to point to our need for Jesus. But people, the Jewish, even the Jewish followers, Jewish leaders lost sight of it. They lost sight of the heart of God. they They just looked at the rules and they tried to figure out who could follow the rules best and which rules really matter and which rules could we oppress people with and which rules would help us, you know, be better than other people. Does that make sense? Like, same thing that everybody else does with rules and religious systems. They got lost in that and they missed the heart of God. They missed the reason for God's ideals and instructions in their life. It was to point us to our need for God. Because we couldn't do it. We couldn't fulfill the law. Even when God gave the law, we couldn't fulfill the law. Because of our brokenness, because of our sin. Here's how Paul said it to the church in Rome. He said the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Right? He sent his own son in a body like we sinners have. And in that body, he declared an end to sin's control. Over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law, again, it was transactional, but it wasn't meant for us to pay. It was meant to point to Jesus to pay the price and to satis- fully satisfy the law for us where we no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. This was again going back to we can't we can't knock the fact that the law was transactional because it was, but it wasn't meant to be a, a I follow so I get and you follow and you get and if you don't follow you don't get it wasn't really meant to do that as much as it was meant to cause us again I told you last week to increase our dependency on God to increase the fact that God we need you we need a Savior. So that, Jesus could answer, so that God could answer that through Jesus Christ to fully pay and fully satisfy that transaction. Now, does that mean the law doesn't matter in terms of don't murder, don't kill? You know? No, of course the law matters, right? Of course, of course the law matters. The law was still given for freedom. It still has benefit. Matter of fact, Jesus' brother, uh, James, said it this way. If you look carefully, if we look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, God's going to bless you for doing it. Why? Because, again, God knew what he was doing. He knew how. He knew the ideals that we would need to live the life he's calling us to live. So we're still blessed by living according to his ideals and instructions. Jesus said, I did not come to, to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to accomplish again. The transaction but that wasn't all and i just want to very quickly show you this verse this is you know again he's he's sharing all this the, the law of the covenants and the rules of the covenant with them the israelites at the foot of the mountain the glory of the lord appeared like a consuming fire then moses again disappeared into the cloud because he climbed higher and higher up the mountain and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights Moses is going to be up there, and I, I'm going to kind of, again, briefly share what's going on, but the primary reason that God calls Moses up for this 40 days and 40 nights is he's doing exactly what he told him. He's going to set up a system of worship. And so over the next several, several chapters, you will see what God downloads to, to Moses is a whole system, again, not just you know, in terms of the how to do it, the instructions, but it was very much, again, a lot of symbolization to point us to Christ, a lot of symbolization of how they're going to worship God the proper way. There's going to be some orderness, orderliness to it. But here's the thing. So, so I can't go again, I can't just go through all this. There's way too much detail. And when I say detail, I mean detail, okay? The Ark of the Covenant, how to build it, what it looks like, what it's for. The table of the shoebread, which would be in the uh, outside of the uh, the, uh, the holy of holies, the lampstand and the lamps, the tabernacle and tents, and the veils that were going to separate the holy of holies and the other parts of the tent where the high priests were only going to be allowed to go. There's altars again. What do you do with the altar? What is it for? How do you properly use it in the courtyard? Uh, there were priest robes and the ephod, which is amazing. The ephod is this chest piece and part of the, the high priest robe that was all about the twelve tribes of Israel and how they were going to be used to kind of help follow the will of God, and what the high priest would use as, as, as he, as he you know, gave instructions to uh, the nation, altar of incense, wash bins, anointing oil, what to make the incense out of. When I say the details are there, the details are there. You can go read all the details, because God is very specific about what he wants, how he wants it, and what he wants God's people to do as they worship him. It's just beautiful that he sets up this system of worship. He doesn't just bring him to the mountain and just like whatever. This is what, he, he's like no, you're going to come worship. You're going to come worship God, and I'm going to tell you how that works and what that looks like to this group of slaves, this, this nation of slaves. I'm going to show you not only how to live free, but how to worship the Lord, your God, and then. And then he actually does, this is what we see in the movie, right? He finished speaking with Moses, and then he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the condition written by the finger of God. Oh, I love that part. I love the fact that it was written by the finger of God. It wasn't Moses transcribing in shorthand, right? This was God's finger wrote on these tablets exactly the terms of the condition, so let me back up again, back out one, one more time really quickly, um, because so much is different from how God set up this system of response to God and, 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 and a system of worship compared to what we do today. I mean, there's going to be very little in terms of the practice of worship that you're going to look at and be like, oh yeah, that's because God, you know, did that but if you've ever had a conversation with somebody that's like why do we come to church on a sunday and why do we do this and why do we sit in rows and why do why do we sing and why do we do this thing well there's, there's reasons for it and one of the things is that we have a history of sort of through the god's word and through him directing us on how we are to worship him what our response to him looks like and i want to give you some stuff that's never changed okay I'll back out again just a little bit and then go back into the story, but here's the things that have never changed. Worship, worship in this moment, worship is defined and and it's going to be the same way no no matter whether it's this or whether it's the New Testament church or whether it's what we see in Revelation. It is always our response for who God is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. Who God is who he was, who he will be. I am, I have always been, <laughs> I will forever. Does that make sense? It's always the same. Worship worship in every generation, every civilization, every, every time we look even into Revelation, everybody's going to worship God. Why? Because of who he is, what he's done, and what he said he was going to do. Which in Revelation he actually gets to do. So that's, that, that, that just seems, I want you to understand, that is what's happening here with Moses and with giving him this download of details. Everything about the tabernacle is going to point to who God is, what he's done for them, and what he promises he's going to do moving forward. Everything about it. And that's what we do when we worship. Now, there's three things I wrote down just very very quickly, three things that are, again, very similar in terms of the heart of what God gives Moses for the people of God and what we continue to do. Very quickly, set apart, set apart, which just means holy. This is the, the word they use for being things that were going to be set apart and consecrated and, and be used for worship. And there was so much of those details in terms of the ark and the tents and the things that were set apart and the tabernacle and certain things that were going to be there. Um, but today, it's interesting because most people today don't, they, they try to sometimes think of locations. They sometimes try to think of like, well, the, the sanctuary is the new, you know, whatever. And, you know, the sanctuary, you know, is set apart for just only worship. And I'll be honest with you, if you ever saw any of our youth meetings in here, you would never come back to church. As a, a, you know, like, 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 like the games we have, the camps we have, the things, like here's what's different today. I don't know if you remember this, but when Jesus completed his work on the cross, the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom, which separated the holy of holies from us no longer exists. And now the New Testament tells us that we are the temple of God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So guess what he calls to be set apart now? Do you know? Us. See, it's not even a part about a tent or a people or whatever, it's about us. He calls us to be set apart, he calls us to be holy. He calls us to live in such a way that reflects God because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now, yes, do we set apart a time to worship and is that important? Yes. Do we set apart certain things that are just used for worship? Yes. I'm I'm not saying that there's not elements of that in church, in our modern church, but you need to understand like this part of this idea of something being set apart, it no longer is kind of stuck on the physical. It's now about you and me, which leads me into, oh, sorry, I, I had a little picture of the uh, tabernacle I wanted you to see because that, that was so important in terms of what God gave Moses in terms of how he was going to set things uh, apart. But here's the next one I'll show you. Sacrificial. Sacrificial was an element of worship that was always going to be there, no matter what. No matter what. There was going to be a sacrificial element, a costly element of worship. Now, I'm going to show you a quick picture. I got permission to do this, by the way. Just want everybody to know, I got permission to do this. About a month ago, uh, Pastor Mike's daughter went to go, uh, they went up somewhere in the mountains and they, to a place where you could pet and find all the, and and they posted this online. I saw this amazing picture of Hannah holding this little lamb. And just like you, I thought, what a perfect visualization of taking the lamb to slaughter. Isn't that, wasn't that what you thought too, you know? (laughs) And so I was like, wow, what a great visual for what I'm getting ready to preach on. No one else thinks like that. Anyway, uh, I immediately texted Mike and said, hey, can I show this? And he said no. And then he asked permission, and, and I got permission. But, uh, but, I mean, it's not any different than it would have been then. It's not any different than it would have been with a family who, who had to take one of their lambs, a spotless lamb, one of the better lambs, and walk it to the, to the tabernacle and hand it over to watch it killed and sacrificed. Why? Because they're sinners to atone for their sin. Now I'll be thank. I'm just going to let you know, I'm really thankful that's not the way we do things today right? Nobody bring a lamb next week, okay? It's not, it's not happening. But you know, worship is still the same. We Gentiles all get to come here and worship God because the perfect lamb paid the price. See, we, we gather and worship because the price still needed to be paid, but Jesus paid that price for us. So worship is still sacrificial. And instead of coming into church, because so many modern people view church as a, well, what am I going to come in and receive, and what am I going to get out of it? We need to understand that the reflection of of what we do in this moment, the reflection of God's people coming together to worship is supposed to be the sacrificial celebration of what God has done for us. And now the New Testament tells us that we are to pour our lives out as a living sacrifice for Him. So instead of coming in and what's in it for me and what am I going to get out of this today, the the goal should always be, God, what am I bringing to you in light of what you have done for me? What am I bringing? What's costly in worship? That's always going to be there. And the third, just very quickly, is orderly, structured. right? I mean, there's so much stuff about the high priest and the ephod and the rules, and I mean... It was orderly, and what you see in the New Testament again is Paul has to kind of address it in the church. Sometimes, I mean, gosh, Corinth was so messed up. There were people in the corners, you know, talking in tongues, barking like a dog, and somebody was over here yelling. People were just yelling prophetic things out and trying to yell over top of one another. And Paul writes them and just goes, "I hear your your services are chaos. What are you doing?" Oh, that's great. You guys can prophesy and and talk in tongues. That's awesome. Only God can hear you. Fantastic. What good is that to anybody else? (laughs) And we have a lot of churches and denominations have books of church order and things like that. Why? Because the New Testament gives us so many illustrations and so many things that we are called to do when the body gathers together. People ask me, well, why why don't we observe the Sabbath like we're supposed to do? well, I think you should observe the Sabbath. But again, we're not, the transaction doesn't happen anymore. And the Sabbath itself, the reason the church meets and gathers on Sunday is because we celebrate a risen Savior. Everybody with me? That's the reason. If anybody asks you why you celebrate on Sunday, like, well, because the early church said, that's why we come together. We celebrate a risen Savior. So Sundays when we worship didn't change that Sabbath was Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown. It didn't change that. And we. by the way, we got a whole series coming about rest and Sabbath and just all that stuff. We, we got it coming. But there was some order to this. But you can't get lost in the order and in the rules of worship because Jesus made this really clear to the woman at the well. Who was kind of stuck on, like, do you worship the mountain? Do you worship Jerusalem? What do you, you know, is there an order to this? And Jesus told her, He says, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it's no longer going to matter if you're worshiping the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, The Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, but they were stuck on it being in the mountain. We, the Jews, know all about them. Salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's now here, that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He basically was saying things are going to change. In some of the practices, in some of the order, but it was still going to be orderly and it was still going to be structured. Jesus says it's just going to be structured around the spirit and truth. Those are now going to be the pillars of worship. Let me dive back into the story really quickly so we can can close out our time. This is Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, let me just do a quick pop quiz. How long was he up the mountain? 40 days. I'm so glad you guys are paying attention. 40 days, okay? A little over a month. A little over a month. And here's how they respond. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't even know what happened to this fellow Moses, as if they forgot his name. You know, what's his name? We don't even know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up here out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, well, take the gold from your rings of the ears of wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. So the people took the gold from their ears and brought them to Aaron, and then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods, lowercase g, who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, hey, tomorrow's going to be a festival to the Lord. So the people got up early the next morning and they sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord tells Moses, where's Moses? Top of the mountain. Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. This sounds like a mother and a father, doesn't it? Your kid. Does that make sense? that make sense? Gods like Moses, those people that you brought out of Egypt, how quickly they've turned away from the way I commanded them to live! They've melted down gold and made a calf. They bowed down to the sacrifice, or bowed down to sacrifice. They're saying, "These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt." Then the Lord said, "I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Leave me alone, so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I'm going to destroy them." and then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Right? This is God's way of going, you know what? Done. Three strikes, you're out. It's over. I'm going to burn them all up. Leave me alone. I'm going to destroy them. Moses, we're going to start over with you, buddy. It was Abraham. Scratch that plan. We're going with you. And Moses, and just very quickly, Moses basically looks at God and says, God, you you can't do it. Please don't do it. Remember your promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to these people who you rescued out of Egypt. Remember your promises. I know Moses is not caught up in the emotion, right? Moses isn't caught up in any emotion. He's He's just responding and imploring with God, For God to be who God really is, which is gracious in this moment. God, please, don't do it. Remember your promises. So, God says he won't do it. And Moses turned to go down the mountain. Now, he goes down about halfway. He hears the party going on. He has a really good feeling he knows what's going on because God already told him. And when he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. The emotion hit Moses. And he threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. I don't know how angry you have to be to destroy something that God made, but that's a problem. He is so filled with anger. He took the calf and he made it. Or they took the calf he made and he burned it. And he ground it into powder and he threw it in the water and he forced the people to drink it. That didn't make it in my felt board stories, by the way. (laughs) And sadly, neither did the next part, because the next part, as tragic as it is, Moses goes to Aaron and to the Levites, the tribe of the priests. And he says, Get your swords and everybody at the party is going to die. He says, I know some of them are your brothers, and I know some of them are your friends, and I know some of them are your family, but they're all going to die, and 3,000 of them were killed that day. I mean, that's like God coming to me, and okay, Matt, get Pastor Mike and Pastor Nicole and Pastor Shin, and we're wiping everybody out. I mean, it's tragic. It's tragic. And again, some people see this and they're like, oh, God was so angry and I don't get it. And I know, it's, I know. (laughs) But God couldn't have been clearer. Do not make an idol. Do not bow down and worship it. Do not claim anything else to be God except me. I won't tolerate it. And he didn't. And he doesn't. They wail, they moan, they're sorry, they repent. Moses has to go back up the mountain for 40 days. He gets a new set of tablets. Thank you, Lord, for grace. He gets a new set of tablets. And the people build and do everything that they needed to do for the tabernacle the way he was called to. And the end of Exodus basically is the consecration of this tabernacle. And it's been one year since they left Egypt. The cloud covered the tabernacle. The cloud that was on the mountain comes down and covers the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle. Why? Because that was part of the the system of rules. He couldn't go in the Holy of Holies because that was the high priest's job. It had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey, and they followed it. If the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered in the tabernacle during that day, and the night of fire glowed inside the clouds. The whole family of Israel could see it, and this continued throughout all their journeys." And listen, Exodus ends, and what I would love to be able to tell you is that they learned their lesson, you know what I'm saying? Like, And God did it, and they went into the land, and it was great, Well, that's just not what happened. And again, there's so much we learn from the Exodus, there's so much we learn from, the, from these stories. But... I want to end with this, okay, because I just want to help you understand the importance of this before I close this out. Is it important to learn the law of Moses, the rules of the covenant, the, the understanding of why we worship the way we do? Is it important to learn that? Yes. Is it the covenant we live under? No. Because Jesus made a new covenant by his blood and by his sacrifice and by his resurrection. He redeems us from the transactional law to a relational grace. Does it mean that the rules don't matter? No. But I'm really, really thankful that we are not governed by the law of Moses. I'm really thankful that we can learn lessons, that they learned the hard way about his ideals and instructions for our lives, and we can move forward in the relationship of grace that Jesus brings us. Here's how Paul said it to the church in Galatia, and I'll close this with this. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. like We had a purpose for the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. He says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The law was needed. It was necessary. Transactional law was necessary. But if there's anything you take out with you today, I really want you to be just filled with gratitude that we we are living in a covenant of a relationship of grace with Jesus Christ. We don't have to wander and wonder about our purpose and our life Oh, we might ask the questions, why this and why me and how will we we might come up with these questions, but we don't have to be stuck wandering and wondering aimlessly because we get to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for you. Thankful for your grace and thankful for God, just yes, the lessons we can learn because they're so important to learn. But we, we never get too stuck down in the weeds of that, that we lose the heart of understanding your ideals and instructions, that we lose the heart behind the new covenant of grace that we are so fortunate to live under, that the reason we still respond and worship to you is because of who you are through Jesus Christ and what you have done for us and what you will continue to do. God, that's why we worship you. And with gratitude, we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.